Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. So this week we'll be discussing the TV adaptation of Knots and Crosses with one of the show's directors, Kobe Adam. Hey, Kobe. Hello. How are you? Hi. Hey, Hey, girls. I think you are our first male guest on the show. Yeah, I, was, I was asking, I was asking Ruby. I was like, "Well, if it's called Dope Black Women, I mean, I'm happy to go on and stuff." But I wondered how much of what I've got to say is useful, if you know what I mean. But I guess you know, you guys can validate what I say. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, don't don't say anything you might regret because there's like, a whole load of women waiting to <laughs> critique everything you say. No pressure. And listen, if there's if if Obviously, I, I'm, I'm straight up, up and down, so I've got no worries. But if I say anything weird, just cut it out. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so start. we usually start off, we usually have women on the show, so we usually start off by asking, what do you think makes you a dope black woman? Okay. But today, maybe we'll just say, what do you think makes you dope? Okay. And maybe what do you look for when you're looking for a dope black woman? Hey. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So, what, what, what would happen if my girlfriend was white? Then where would we go from here? Well, that's the end of the show. Most black movies, or you know, appropriate to black culture. So it's fine. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my girlfriend's Nigerian, so uh, this this works out. Hey. Okay, perfect. You can yeah. tell us why she's dope then. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think actually it's just more about the strength. You know, obviously, you know, um, black women are a group of people who haven't had it easy in, you know, Western cultures, whether that's the States or the UK. I'm sure it's the same in like Germany or, or, you know, wherever. And I think that for black women being so bold and fearless, you know, in personality and appearance, you know, in 2020, I think is very attractive to me. I think that, you know, that makes them the most attractive group of people on the earth, actually. And, you know, I think that, you know, obviously I'm just talking about the diaspora. But equally, you know, black women in Africa, when I go back, you know, you just sort of see a certain resilience in black women. You don't seem to see anywhere else. So, mm. yeah. And what do you think makes you a dope black man? What makes me a dope black man is that I um, have been raised by dope black women. So there you go. Hey, <laughs> that's the right answer. There you go. Uh, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually the only man in my, well, you know, I was raised with my mom and my two sisters. I've been in contact with my dad, but 
I've lived, you know, a great chunk of my life with my dad. You know, sort of like mostly with mum, my older sister and my little sister. Oh, wow. So you've yeah. been surrounded by dope black women pretty much yeah. most of your life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. Like, how was your upbringing and how did you get involved in filmmaking? How do you identify? Are you a filmmaker? Are you a writer first? Give us your background. So I say I identify as a storyteller. Um, and actually, I was actually doing a, an interview with one of my friends who runs a, a digital magazine called um, Reform the Funk. And, you know, while sort of like, because I went to secondary school with him and while sort of like answering these questions, he was sort of like picking away at how I got to, you know, coming from ends to being a film director. He was sort of like trying to unpack it. And then he sort of came down with the conclusion that actually, you've actually always been a storyteller. Like you used to come to school, you know, running and telling the stories of what happened in your area. You know, UK gossip. Exactly. <laughs> I was a UK gossip of back then. So sort of like, I go there and say, nah, it's mad night. This guy, but you know, backed out the shank and did tell the whole story. All the stories, like when something mad used to happen. And because my, the, the school that I went to was sort of out of ends, everyone was really interested in what happened on ends. So I used to sort of like go to school and like tell those stories. And it's funny because since then, I've gone on to study sociology, media, business studies, RE, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those things kind of culminate, culminated in me ending up being a film director. And I think yeah. that, you know, sort of like the path that I took after I finished university of sort of like, you know, shooting things with my camera, my DSLR that I bought myself um, and my MacBook that I bought with my student loan. I started shooting things and then I went to a film conference in L.A. and asked, like, how do I get into the film industry? Like, this is amazing, et cetera, et cetera. And I literally just went to this conference because I, I just didn't know what I was doing next in my life. Um, and then someone said, hey, apply for film school. And I did so. And it was at film school, which is the London Film School, that everything I had been through in life from the moment I started with till my university life to whatever, all kind of culminated in me becoming a filmmaker, you know? And because, like, I, I tell really sociological stories, like socioeconomic stories. Yeah. You know, if you look at the, you know, the catalogue of my work that I've worked on thus far, it's very, it's got that sociology aspect to it. Um, but also like everything else that I studied, like communication and media at university came into play, et cetera. So yeah, I just, you know, just started to flex with that in, in film school. And then I, I went from cinematography to directing because I, I could do it in film school and it just stuck with me since then, to be fair. Yeah. So what happened when you went home to your mom and your mm-hmm. house full of women and said, I'm going to become a filmmaker? I've been back oh. from day one. I've been back from day one. Like my mom, God rest mm-hmm. her soul, she passed away in 2018. But, you know, she, what she never did was try to tell me what career path to take, who to love. Like she wasn't that type of person. You know, she was oh. someone who said I should, you know, make sure that I stick to the word of God as much as I can, which was a whole Amen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and outside of that, whatever that looked like, she wasn't someone who you know, would try and box me in. And actually, mum used to watch a lot of films and TV and she was a bookworm. Like, she loved books. You know, like, books was everything to her. So it was like the fact that she had that literature, you know, interest in her, that passion in her herself. And her son was sort of, like, chasing the, the dream that, you know, you know, she probably had herself. I think that, you know, she really always just supported me. Same as my dad. My dad always supported me. So I never had those African parents that was like, go and be a doctor. Mm. Like, you know, they tried it maybe once or twice and maybe you realised it wasn't going to work. So, 
they jumped on, jumped <laughs> on board very early on. Well, clearly she's looking out for you now because this nuts and crosses opportunity has been mad. Um, the first time I ever saw you work was House Girl, which mm-hmm. was amazing. Thank you. Um, but I didn't grow up with the nuts and crosses book. Did you guys grow up with the, the book? Liz? I feel like I should have, but I didn't. Like uh, everyone else seemed to have known, like read the book. I'd definitely heard of it, but I hadn't ever read it. Yeah, no, I remember I read it. I think I was like twelve the first time I read it, and I was just like amazed. I thought it was the coolest book ever. And then I met Mallory Blackman. She like came to my school and spoke to us my English class once, and I was just like in awe of her. I think she's just the well, coolest I person. Like, I love the series. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. She's a very affectionate, like, she's got that auntie vibe. Yes. Like, just, just spews, she just spews good energy, man. Exactly. We all love her. She's amazing. Yeah. No, but it is a really great book. Like, I, I would say if you haven't read the book, that was a perfect opportunity to. So, take us from your beginning of your career to how Knots and Crosses came about. Um, I think it's one thing after the other. So obviously I started film school and then I made my first film, which is called Deborah's Letter in 2014. That was a documentary about my little sister, which everyone realized that, wait, there's a really good story in this doc. Like you should, you know, and I've all, do you know what I mean? Like you should be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I was like, fine. And then um, while I was still at film school, I collaborated with an, a writer called Abraham Adeyemi, who's a director now as well, actually. And um, we made my first dramatic short film after doing a Kickstarter and raising six grand. So, like, obviously, I was learning everything at film school. And it was one of the best film schools around. Like, it was, like, when I started, it was, like, top ten in the world or something like that. So it's, like, they, they pack you with information and, you know, you make, like, film after film after film for two years. So, you know, I was trying to use, like, some of my gained experience and knowledge to put into my own projects. So we'd done the Kickstarter, made that film Closure, which is starring um, Adelayo Adedayo who was in Some Girls. I don't know if anyone remembers that show. Oh, yeah, I loved that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To this day, but yeah, that's like my first experience of like working with an actress of that caliber. Then I made House Girl, which was my film school graduation film that I shot in Ghana. Um, And then I finished film school and for a good, I'd say eight, nine months. In fact, I'll say for a year and a half, I was down and out, I was broke. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just, it was literally probably, I'd say, on paper, the worst year of my life, but spiritually, definitely the best because mm. that was sort of like the engine, that gap in time that, you know, I sort of finished film school and financially I was all over the place. And at one stage I was homeless, no money, you know what I mean, etc. I think that, you know, that was the year that I got, really got close to God myself without, you know, mum forcing me to read the Bible. And from then on, I kind of realized that um, my mentality kind of changed. I kind of shifted as a person. And then out of my frustration, I, I, then I started to work in Westminster Magistrates Court, a job that I really despised. Um, so on the way home, <laughs> yeah, it was the worst. Yeah, that sounds painful. No, like, it was the worst. what you had to do, but... It was so horrible, man. Like, yeah, you just have to go through case files and put them in folders from nine to five every day. And it's like, nah, oh, man. Gosh. Yeah, my Never mom, me. £2,000. <laughs> I'm not going to start, you know, filing papers thereafter it doesn't make sense so anyway i was walking home one day from work and i was praying i was really fasting this week actually i was fasting and praying and praying and then the idea for haircut just dropped on my spirit you know there was a process to it but for the sake of shortening my story you know i'll just say that you know it literally just landed on my on my spirit while i was praying so that night 
I wrote the first draft of the film and it's called Haircut. And that obviously opened every door in my career. So I signed to my agent after I made that film. Um, uh, I was on a couple of publications like Stars of Tomorrow, which is like, is, is run by Screen Daily. And like, you know, all the top actors you hear about today went through this list, same as filmmakers, et cetera. Um, and quite a few other bits. Like I went to some film festivals that I'd never dreamt of going to, etc. So after that, you know, there's all this noise about, yeah, new filmmaker, etc. And then um, I started shadowing on Top Boy. So I was shadowing um, on episode six and seven. Oh, dope. The latest, the latest series on Netflix. And um, while I was on there, I was sort of learning, you know, the sort of TV setup, you know, how it works, you know, in prep, production. Mm. And then I was supposed to um, then go to post. But before I went to post, I got a phone call from my agent saying, hey, have you read Notes and Crosses? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I kind of remember it. It was like, oh, well, yeah. It's you better. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's sort of like, they were like, um, yeah. He, my agent was like, oh, it's a book by Mallory Blackman. I was like, oh, yeah, it you know, sounds you know, even more familiar. And then he was like, well, they turned it into a, a BBC One drama and they want to meet you. And I was like, oh, what's a shadow? Like, obviously, like, what's, you know what I mean? Like, what, what, why do they want to meet me? He goes, no, nah, no, nah, mate, they want you to direct episodes. I was like, oh, rah, okay. But obviously at this stage, I've never booked a TV job. So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm probably going to re-go for the meeting and then take all the lessons from the, you know, great experience of meeting the execs. So I had a phone call with Preeti, Mother Harley. She's the woman, the executive producer who picked up the book oh. and said, oh, I'm going to make this. And this was seven years before we actually made it. So, um, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. I had a meeting with her over WhatsApp video while she was in Cape Town, you know, because they already had, like, started. Like, not mm. shooting, but, like, they already started putting things in place. Um, and um, yeah, because I've heard that this has been going on for a time. Like, I remember being in school and people saying, Oh, it's going to be a film, and then that never happened. Like, yeah, there's a lot of back and forth. Like, if you go online, you see a couple of interviews of Mallory Blackman sort of talking about it, you know, sort of like that sought after material that everybody wanted to put their hands on. And I think that the only one time she felt comfortable to sort of proceed was with Mama Screen, who Preeti works for or yeah. represents, I say. Um, and they're they're a phenomenal company to be fair. Like me as a filmmaker, I sort of learned heat from them, even forward in my own career. They're really classy. So, you know, it's sort of like you can learn from them to sort of, you know, put yourself in a very classy space in the TV and film industry. But um, yeah, so then I went in for a meeting at the BBC with Ben Irvin, the commissioner at the BBC, um, Damien, who owns Mammoth Screen, and Preeti, who picked up the book. We had a chat for about an hour. I was just very open and honest. I didn't try to over-impress. More about me just saying, look, I do want to do this. And, I, you know, but, you know, I'm not going to pretend I've done more than I have done. I want to mm. show you that I'm a great storyteller. And if you've seen that in my work, then I believe I'm the right man for the job. And, you know, fast forward now a week, I'm back on set of Top Boy. And it's actually the scene where Duchesne got threatened by that Jamaican guy by the river. I remember that very clearly. And, and um, <laughs> yeah, I got a phone call while they were shooting from my agent and he was sort of like because I forgot about it when I, t I take those meetings I kind of put it out of my head you know to avoid constant disappointment so mm -hmm. uh, yeah like I just sort of like went I was talking to my agent he's oh how are you you know dragging on the conversation kind of thing like oh yeah you know how's everything going da, da, da. then he was like oh so yeah um 
and I told him, oh yeah, I'm just thinking about like South Africa. Imagine I end up going to South Africa to, to work, you know, to shoot this this Noughts and Crosses show. Then he goes, well, mate, you're going to South Africa. I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> I was but like, like, oh, snap. <laughs> hey, that's bad. I, I, it's I, happening. It's all happening, baby. Yeah, it's all happening right now. I was like, that's mad. So yeah, from there, honestly, that, that was about two weeks before I, I went straight to the Cape Town and got to work. But it was a it was a beautiful experience, man. From beginning to end, you know, obstacles and challenges involved, etc. But the way it all happened was very godly. Like it literally came out of nowhere and accelerated the plans that I already have for myself. So we praise mm. God for the time, man. That's my testimony. Damn, it's really interesting the approach you took to your interview because so often you're told in job interviews to kind of like spice up the truth a bit. And right. like, just like, you know, you might have to put a little seasoning there, you might have to say things you never do, but you went in there and you were just like, so brutally honest. And I think that's so commendable because it worked out in your favour. They obviously saw the authenticity. Um, so like, why, why did you choose to be so like, like if most people, if they had it on job interview with the BBC, it'd be like, right, I've got to, I've got to beef up my resume here. I've got to, but you kind of just went in there and said exactly yeah. how it is. Like, why did you choose to take that approach? Well, that's, I'll give you two answers. One, which I would have known before I took the approach and one that I found out after, <laughs> you know, I, I, made, I made a decision. And, you know, from the execs, the first one is I've always believed that whatever's for you will never pass you by. Like, I'm, I don't believe... Amen. You know what I mean? I, don't, I, don't believe <laughs> I always that. say that. I always say that. Yeah. This is yours. Listen. This is yours. No one can do anything about that. So... My thing was about just going there and I know for a fact that I know what I'm doing. I wouldn't go for a job I can't do. So mm. I just went there and I said, look, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I know I can do based on what I've done before. And that was that. I even went as fast to say, look, I haven't even like read this book recently. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's me, you know. That's actually me. Like a super fan. You know, I just wanted to be honest. But one thing I did say is the scripts that they sent me really made me lose sleep. Like, that's how good it was. Oh, and that's wow. the script that I wanted to get involved and not the fact that it's, you know, noughts and crosses is big thing. So obviously, you know, that worked out. Now I've got the job. And on the back end of that, I found out that, you know, not found out, but I kind of realized that in this industry, you kind of need people who can, number one, collaborate. Like, I went in there and said, I've never shot a film with more than one camera. You know, I've never worked with more than 15,000 pounds. You see what I'm saying to you? Uh. For a film. I've never shot for more than two days, right? I've never shot with more than 10 extras kind of thing. So like, if, you know, I'm, I'm more of a collaborator. I come on a, on a sense of story. I'm a storyteller and I'll lead a story. So I'm like, yeah, story-wise, this is what we're going to do. Visually, this is what I think. But I leave the experts who's been, we've been working in their roles for years on end to find out how we're going to portray mm. the vision that I've got, if you know what I mean. Like, it's a very collaborative thing. And I think that yeah. that's what they were looking for, someone who can collaborate, not someone uh. who sort of coming to think that they're the next best thing and showing off and, you know, mm. throwing their weight around. So I just think that, you know, for me, I, collaboration was my aim there, but also to tell a story. And that's exactly what I did, you know? It sounds like you're a real underdog. Um, in terms of your career, which is interesting because Noughts and Crosses, in some ways, is all about the underdog and it's all about oppression and what that looks like in different spaces. So um, for those who haven't watched it or haven't heard of the book or haven't read the book, could you just give a brief 
like summary of of the themes and the plot. So Noughts and Crosses is a modern day Romeo and Juliet story um, between a white boy who's identi- who identifies as a Nought, so Noughts are white, and a, a black girl who identifies as a cross and crosses are black, except the crosses are the ruling class and the noughts are the oppressed. So it's basically the flip of what you, you know, you'd see in, in, modern, in real life history. Um, the central message is all about love. So basically it's about a love between um, Callum, the North boy, and Sefi, the cross girl, who uh, fall in love with each other and try to stay together against all odds. So that love is constantly challenged and attacked and, you know, it's, yeah, it's quite, it's, it can be quite depressing sometimes, but I guess the message that we have in the TV series, which is very evident in the book as well, is that love conquers all. Mm. And love, love, love will last the test of time. I, think I mean, it's not that evident in the book. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the book has a but very I mean, look, different ending. Without, I mean, look, I think even if somebody <laughs> dies, that doesn't mean love is dead. Because at the end of the day, Kelly Rose is still there, if you know what I mean. Meaning that, Ooh, you know, so that, that, that love, that love, that, that love still proceeded, you know. And, and you know, is Kelly Rose is a result of um, Callum and Sefi's fearlessness in defending their love. Mm. Because if they failed, there would be no Kelly Rose. You know, if yeah. they failed, everybody would be the same as they were before they decided to fall in love. So it's more about mm. the effects that their love have ha- has had as opposed to them selfishly, you know what I mean, what they need for themselves, if you know what I mean. It's more about the bigger picture and what the love does for that, if you know what I mean. Just to go back, who is, who is, are you, t- were you guys talking about the child of Sefi and... Yeah, so Callie Rose. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Callie Rose is in the books, and that's basically Callum and Sefi's daughter. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. You meet her in the second book. Um, yeah. In the first book and in the series, um, Sefi's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what was it like for mm-hmm. you, black man, working on the show mm-hmm. where you have a majority black cast, where you're mm-hmm. seeing things like everyday racism, things like police brutality play out the others the other way around, as you said. What was that like for you as a black director? How did it make you feel? What was it like? What was that experience like? I mean, it's not just the fact that I was a black director. I got the job when I was 28, you know, and I, I and it's kind of like I still have ends in me. So it's kind of like it wasn't, well, as, as I'm working on it, it, it was the strangest feeling ever because it's like we're shooting in South Africa where obviously we all know about apartheid and the effects that's had on society over there. So it's sort of like it was really just about taking in the elements around me and then thinking, wait, hold on a minute, like this is the exact food and information I need to make what I'm making now, if you know what I mean. And um, I think for me, it was an organic process. It was a bit like therapy because it's kind of like, you know, there's two factors here. Firstly, if crosses or black people were in power, even if there are, you know, similarities, they won't be the same as the way white people were in power. And I think that's really what I wanted to make sure we 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 were all across. And obviously a lot of work was done on this as well, research-wise and world-building-wise before I even jumped on board. There was a guy, the executive producer, Kibwe Tavares, is, you know, he's like a genius when it comes to world-building. Like he, he made like key decisions to 
based across is on like West African culture, which is perfect for me to now come in and think, oh, snap, well, mm. you know what I mean? I grew up in Thamesmead, which is basically Nigeria, and I'm from Ghana. Brother, it is. It's one of them ones where this is right up my alley. Like, my best mate is, is Yoruba, and his mum speaks Yoruba to me. She doesn't even speak English to me. So it's kind of like, you know, the fact that we use Yoruba for the language in the show as well, to, or base, to, to base expressions in the show, we based it on Yoruba. Mm. And I think, again, that was right up my alley. So I think that, you know, it was a very collaborative effort. And I think I had enough room and enough work was done for me to operate effectively. But the experience itself was just strange, man. It was literally just strange. It was sort of like, you know, I was almost like an audience member watching everything unfold, even though I was making key decisions, if you know what I mean. So like we would make decisions together and we'll go forth and go and make this thing and shoot this thing. And I'm on the monitor and I'm watching it. It's like, oh my God, like, what is this? And I realized, mate, you, you're actually making this, mate? You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, it was a lot of back and forth of, you know, being, you know, out-of-body experience, inner-body experiences. Like, it really is, is, I can't really describe it. I think when you come out the other end, you, you kind of see world, the world different. Do you see what I'm saying to you? Because it's kind of like, you know, even when you talk about evil or why people make bad decisions or evil decisions, people don't just wake up in the morning and make evil decisions. Do you get where I'm coming mm-hmm. from? Like people go through their own, they're exposed to certain things. They grew up in certain ways. They've been through certain, you know, things that make them act in certain ways. And it's, and that's what filmmaking is about. It's not about the surface. It's about going into the roots of, you know, what the surface is displaying and operating in that realm or that remit, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was interesting. It was, it wasn't easy, but it was the best thing I've ever done in my life. I have to be honest with you. It's, it's that's the thing that I love, the things that have never really been done before, you know? Did, um, did going through that process kind of reconcile some of your own experiences with racism and kind of, as you said, getting to that deeper level of why people do what they do? Like, how did it affect your perspective? Of course. I mean, look, firstly, when I was younger, when I was growing up, you know, I, I did the whole road thing, you know what I mean? And, and it kind of made me start to realize why I did it. And I was like, well, I didn't even subconscious i didn't even go deep enough to realize subconsciously as to why you know i chose to be with the boys and be with them and them and you know you know do what we did if you know what i mean as opposed to choosing to make the right decision to stand up against the state like back then i wasn't even aware of how the setup was against me if you know what i mean i just knew that it wasn't in my favor do you get where i'm coming from i just knew that you know, new year's Mom's telling us to put our jackets on because we can't pay the heat. And like, that's, that's, that's what I remember. So I'm just thinking, nah, when I grow up, I'm not going to be broke. Like, I'm not going to be broke. That was my mm-hmm. mentality. I'm not going to be broke. So it's kind of like me growing up like that. And then now it's like, oh, snap. So but what would a white person do? Do you see what I'm saying to you? Like, they wouldn't necessarily do what I did. Do you get where I'm coming from? So it's, a, it's basically about sort of like just the similarities but also the differences, you know, between my experience and what, you know, I'm presenting on screen, you know. It's just, it was, yeah, again, it was just, I can't lie. I think it's just one of those experiences that's so deep that you feel the difference, but you can't really put it into words. Like, you can't really, like, vocalise it, but, yeah. This is the Dope Black Women podcast. So I watched episode one at a Q&A that you did with Reese Parkinson okay. at the BBC. Oh, you were there, yeah? And I was there in the front. I ate hey. the black thing with that. 
Um, I, I, when I was watching episode one, it made me think, um, I found it quite interesting how like they use the word, that the white people use the word blanker mm-hmm. to themselves in the same way that a lot of black people still yes. use the N-word, even though it's meant, not meant to be for us to use, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So I just wanted to know like how important was that to be included as part of the story? Well, the blanker part? Yeah. Well, to be fair, I didn't direct episode one. I directed episode four, five, and six. So it's sort of like, I mean, I can only speculate, but I guess, you know, it's, 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 there were a lot of microaggressions and very tiny details mm. in it, which, you know, we, we, we always have one mind on to make sure that we create the experience. It's not just about telling the story, but it's also mm. about creating that experience. I think the one that hit me more was when Nekon goes to Callum and calls him Calum. You know, and you know, yeah. <laughs> someone, someone that's actually called Callum said the funniest thing about that is that when he goes to America, no one's ever said Callum right. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of say Caleb, say all sorts of Caleb. You know, they say all sorts <laughs> of things that you know their ears are accustomed to because it's almost like their brain goes to the first thing that they're used to, as opposed mm-hmm. to freeing their brains to go to anything. If you know what I mean, they're sort of trying to put these things in these perimeters that just doesn't fit. You know, and I think that. You know, the, us putting it in the show so seamlessly just did a lot for me personally. I had a question about how you portray black women in the last three episodes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there is this like love triangle between the two sisters, kind of, and um, I can't remember his name. Lecon. Lecon, right. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's really interesting because all of these women are really strong characters, right? Yeah. Like yeah. the mom. Um, Sefi herself, her sister, they're all these really strong, educated characters. And I'm wondering if you had any, like, what was your plan or if you had a plan going into as to how you were going to portray these strong black women against strong black men. And obviously the the gender dynamics that take place between black men and women all the time. Sure. I think the blessing for me was that I got given the job to, to, to direct block two which is the, la- the last three episodes, because in, at the end of episode three, there's a big bomb, right? And there's a big explosion. And metaphorically, that explosion just means that once we clean up this mess, life's never going to be the same again, right? So basically, like, characters went into that bomb. And my plan, as soon as I started work, was telling everybody from camera to casting to scripts, because we basically send script notes, like, every night almost, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just to try and get the script into shape to shoot. And my whole thing was about, you know, everybody's goals now flipping on their heads. So whatever demons people were battling from episode one to three, now we see this bomb has now put them in a, on a more straight journey to, to, to dealing with it. Like, for example, Jasmine was a big one for me because obviously in the first, first three episodes, you know, she was like having affairs and drinking yeah. you know you tell she was broken because her husband just doesn't care and etc but after the bomb and after you know the family was in the hospital because of her as a result of the bomb you saw a lot more strength from her and that was my thing about you know let's put the bottle down you know every time i saw yeah she grabs the bottles like come on like you know at, at this mm. stage this year i'm saying to you like we i'm a filmmaker and i always believe that characters are meant to grow before our very eyes like especially in the series you know, it's very criminal to have a character that starts the same and ends the same in a film, let alone an episode of TV. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. my thing was from episode one, from four to five, how does Jasmine grow? From five to six, how does Jasmine grow? From six going and suggesting whatever may come in season two is all about growth. 
And I think that that really helped me to put the black women that we did have in a very strong light, if you know what I mean. I think that Sefi as well, you know, the way she sort of like was taking charge. I mean, what I really liked about Sefi as a character is that, you know, she's got all the attributes of her dad, but is used in a different way. So even mm. though she may even come across a bit manipulative sometimes, it's like she's using that skill, you know, for the greater good, if you know what I mean. And it's sort of like, rather than Sefi being a naive, cross-privileged girl, right? Now she starts to realize the problems within herself, which I think she does between episode one to three. And then from four to six is now dealing with what she's found out and what she's going to do to put things right. You know, and I think that, you know, her getting kidnapped as a result and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, just shows the consequences of her actions. But without consequences, you don't really get growth, you know? So it's about also the, it's also about the, the challenges that came along the way to really put these black women in situations that they really had to fight their way out of, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. you know, that was, that was the plan anyway. You can tell me if I, I failed, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting, actually, because she says the word Blanca in the first or second exactly. episode, right? Which goes back to Shan's and Liv's point about yeah. the use of Blanca as a way of using the N-word. And um, I don't know if you have any personal opinions about the use I mean, of the N-word generally. Can I, can I just say, uh, let's flip it back to the reality. If a Caucasian girl in a drama that we're watching on TV uses the N-word, by the end, are we ever going to love her? That's the question that we have to ask. Are we ever going to mm. love the Caucasian by the end if she uses the N-word? And the answer from mm. probably 80% of black people would be no. You know, like, what do you mean? She's a racist. I don't care. You know, we don't care what, what but that's exactly what Sefi did. You know, and I think mm. because we didn't hear the N-word, it kind of desensitized us a little bit to what was actually going on there. But the fact of the matter is she basically said the N-word. And for me, it was very difficult for me to now you know, it's funny because it's like me as a director, it's like I'm, I'm working with, with Sefi and, you know, I know what we're supposed to do. But don't get me wrong. I'm a big believer of like, because, you know, in society these days, a lot of things go wrong and then people just come out and say, this person's bad. I hate Boris Johnson and Donald Trump is this. And, you know, just saying, Dah. and, you know, some, you know, rightfully so in inverted commas, like they don't, it's not like the comments that are being said are far-fetched. However, I feel like, again, when I come from the standpoint of being a, a Christian, you know, that's, what, that's, that, that's the standard that I live by. And I feel like, you know, we all make mistakes of different, you know, of different calibers. And, you know, I love the fact that, you know, we can sort of have a drama where someone essentially says the N-word, but is able to be redeemed by the end. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is, that's what life's meant to be. We make mistakes, we learn from them and we move forward. We're not supposed to sort of live and die with the mistake, you know, and, and you know, bitterness spreading around the whole world. And that's what, that's what the, the, the show's about. It's about love conquering all. Love conquered the fact that she said the N-word, essentially. You know what mm. I'm saying? So it's kind of like, for me, you know, I just think that that word, Blanca, first and foremost, is, very, is, a, is a term coined by Malibu Blackman in her book, which I thought was brilliant because it's, it's like, if you think about it, we're saying that, or what are we saying that the skin tone blank? Like, do you get where I'm coming from? Like, it's offensive in its own right, let alone <laughs> before being linked to the N word, if you know what I mean. So, I didn't even think about that, actually. I just assumed that it was because Blanca is white in Spanish, but I didn't think about like well, maybe, the correlation between, yeah. Maybe but, that's why, who knows? I haven't actually asked Mallory where she got the word from. I just, just added my own interpretation to it no but that interpretation <laughs> makes perfect sense as to why she would even use that word to yeah. describe yeah 
yeah. But that's honestly, actually, I feel like all the all the tools that we had to make this, it's just it was just set up by Mallory. I think without without the book being that good, you know what I mean. I, I don't think the TV show would be. We wouldn't have as much to use to to propel our storytelling, our own story, as we did. If you know what I mean, I think Mallory yeah. is such a calming spirit. Like you're toiling around with the script and thinking what to do next, and then as soon as you're in her presence, she says one thing and it's like, oh, of course. You know, like all of a sudden you're <laughs> like flowing again, and you're like, wow, like what a woman. That's why I call her a fairy godmother. You know, she's just got this energy mm. that makes everybody around her better. You know, so so how hands on was was uh, Mallory Blackman anyway in actual process of filming and everything? Like, how well did you get to know her and get insight from her about the book? And not before. And again, actually, the reason why I told the execs that I hadn't necessarily been accustomed to the book before I took on the job is because I didn't want to be caged in by the book. If you know what I mean? I think that the book is so good that if you remember, you know, if you remember the, the story fresh in your mind, it'll be very difficult to rip yourself away from it. And, you know, and as a filmmaker, I have to be in the middle and, do you know what I mean? Make this piece work by itself without having to be, you know, confined in the perimeters of the book. But I think that with her, she was just, she just sort of like, during the f- making of the first season, she kind of just greenlit stuff. You know, she just let, let us get on with it. And then if you've got a question, we, and she, she obviously greenlights all the scripts, you know, and she, she sees all the cuts, you know, and she sees everything. So she basically just says, yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Which she did the majority of the time because she just believed in the team making it. And at times where she was like, nah, it's not really like that. She'd always speak up, but in the, in the most, you know, respectful way possible, which I, I, really, I really respect myself. So, yeah, I think that while we're making it, she kind of took her step back, but very comfortably to know, for us to know that she's still there, but she doesn't want to get too involved because, you know, she's, you know, she's an author and she wants to see how a book adaptation, do you know what I mean? Like she was kind of learning herself as well. She was kind of watching these things happen. And like, oh, of course mm-hmm. that would happen. It's like an extension of the book for her, you know, because screen and literature aren't the same thing at the end of the day. Like you can't try and shoot what's in the book as is because it's just never going to work so but while you're reading it because the mind is you know you're not restricted by any kind of image you can just go where you want it works but once there's images logic comes into play and you kind of have to make everything start to click together so she just let us get on with it man that's that's really the short and thick of it but i think mm-hmm. now she'll you know if there is a season two i'm sure she'll get a, a lot more involved in that if you know what i mean in terms of like you know being at the forefront as well as green lighting things no, for sure. So you talked a bit about um, Sefi's character and how, you know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that she says Blanca in the beginning and, um, you know, we kind of, we learn to love her. We, you mm-hmm. know, we go with her alongside her journey. She becomes less naive and more aware mm-hmm. of the world around her. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what would you want interracial couples to take away from watching this and especially white people? Mm-hmm. To be fearless, man. Obviously, look, I think we live in a time where, you know, is is the stage is set for fearlessness. Do you get where I'm coming from? And I think that, you know, my advice to any interracial couples is to just what you take from this is that love conquers all. Love comes first before black, white. Love comes first before, do you know what I mean? Chubby, skinny, you know, love comes first before Afro, short hair, you know, like whatever you want to put money, no money. You know, love is first. 
know, like that's literally what it is. And I think that a lot of people would be rattled by by that, you know, because we all love the material side of life. We all we all love the surface. The surface is something that we get attached to. But this story is really deep, man. This story is just saying that look, like love is 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 way deeper than you know what you see and perceive, you know. And 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 at the end of the day, if you fall in love with someone and it just happens, you need to understand that that you go into the spiritual realm and you know just understand that it may look like everything's against you, but if you go at those things you know, you're going to have a lot of favor on your side. You know, you're going to have a lot of, you know, the, the, the God, God is on your side, basically. Mm. Love it. Love is on your side. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're done though, obviously. You feel me? <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> 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 the gun fingers from the two prayer warriors. <laughs> yeah, no, God, in it, it's true. We're, we're both doing gun, gun signals. But yeah, no, I just think that, I just think that, um, yeah, like, this, this, the way we, the way we've perceived love ourselves as filmmakers, the way Mallory Blackman has perceived love herself, and the way we want the audience to perceive love is, is this strong, powerful force, you know. And that's essentially the whole point of the, the the story. I don't know. The kidnapping would have been rough for me to forgive. I don't know. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. But you know what it is. It's like it's, you know when they say like love and there's a thin line between love and hate. It's facts. Trust me, like mm. if you step to the left, imagine imagine loving someone and that as a, as a as an output of energy, right? And then that same output of energy is just shifted to the left. You see what I'm saying to you? So you're still pouring all of this thing out, but now it's negative. You see what I'm saying to you? Now it's hate. You see what I'm saying to you? Now you're gonna do things you'll because when you love someone, you'll do things you wouldn't usually do. But same mm. as when you hate somebody. You see what I'm saying to mm. you? That's what, that that was what will get somebody to go and do things that they usually don't. So it's almost like Love and hate is the same energy, but it switches in terms of your perception and where you decide to put it. You see what I'm saying to you? Like, it's, it's, for example, like blood is red or blue or whatever it is. I don't know if that's a myth, by the way. (laughs) Blood is like blue or whatever, you know, in your body. Then when it comes out, it's red. Kind of, you know what I'm saying to you? It's it's kind of like, it's the same sort of energy, it's the same thing. But it depends on how you decide to use it, where you decide to put it, what environment or circumstances in that makes it what it is. Mm. Mm. That's very deep. See, I feel like this is a really big um, step in the stone mm. in your career, being with Noughts and Crosses. Everyone knows with the um, the book and things like that. But what, what's happening next to you now? Is there anything else that you're working yeah. on at the moment? Sure, sure. About... So Haircut, the film that kicked it all off for me, I'm making that a feature film. So um, I'm, I'm right... I'm, I'm developing oh, that with some four as we speak. Um, Amazing. Yeah, I've got a you team. Need a producer to work on the. Just... <laughs> ah, oh, your producer. Yeah. Oh, Libs and Shan are both producers. Oh, swear. I mean, obviously, the thing is, I'm a liar <laughs> because I made I made House Girl haircut with the same producer, who's then gone on to make Blue Story. So it's kind of like. We, Okay, well, if we just uh, look over. No, for sure. I think I think. ITV credits, Channel 4 credits. Yeah, no, I love that. You know I, love, I, mean? I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. let them know. Yeah, don't worry. We'll, we'll get that, that tap going still. You get me? But yeah, nah. So I'm writing that, but then I've got a, a TV series that I'm writing as well, which is based on House Girl, my short um, film from film school. So mm. um, I started talking to a few production companies about it, but I'm still trying to actually find the best place to house it um mm. what else am i working on i got my big project it's called se28 which is a tens me the postcode for tens me mm. and 
essentially is, is interesting because like I'm telling a story it's like my own Goodfellas you know what I'm saying but it's like set oh, on man. the edge of London it's set on the edge of London when you know you wouldn't really know if you're, if you're from London and it's the last postcode in, in the SE postcodes you know it's, it was known as the dead end and it's basically like you know my story of my like my hood if you if you went there in the time that we were around was a madness but it's not peckham and it's not brixton do you get where i'm coming from like mm. we, we had we had like irish travelers on one side of the road then we had all the you know black people from jamaicans to 80 percent nigerians like i said you know then Listen, there was one or two one or two Ghanaians like myself do you get where i'm coming from lingering around but you know it's got and then you had the racists you know that were just down the road then you had the woolwich somalians you know, so it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's like my own, it's, it's a community film about a group of boys who, you know, have aspirations to be all kinds of things. But the only thing that they have to get out the hood is music. So they use music and start to get popular, but then it starts to attract a lot of trouble. And this film's about them navigating through the trouble that their newfound fame brings. So that is my passion. That sounds project. very interesting. Thank you very much. That's my passion sure. project. That's the one that, you know, I want 30 to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> the one that's close to my heart, the one that I want to be watched for the next 100 years, if you know what I mean, because it's, yeah. it's all based on true stories. Like, the, the true story is in 2008, um, I think it's the summertime when I was finishing off my first year in uni, um, four, was it four or five? Anyway, four or five of my childhood friends who went to jail for life and I was I was wow. ten minutes away from being at the incident that took them to jail for life. So the difference is they're still in jail as we speak, and I'm a writer director. Do you know what I mean? About to make a film mm, about that's them. mad. Look at your testimony yeah. though. Hey, yeah, that's, it. that's it. You know that you you've hit the nail on the head. SC28 is my life testimony. Like I'm not mm. gonna tell the the film with the names and start dry snitching. But what I'm gonna do. <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of technical, but I'm I'm, I'm gonna. Mum said there'll be early release of prison from Corona. Ah, trust me, trust me, it's all mad. (laughs) But I I, am I'm gonna sort of use um, events that happened to us, like the funny ones, the dangerous ones, you know, the ones at gunpoint, you know, I mean, all those crazy ones, and just you know, Mm. use those stories to tell my story, but sort of change the characters around a little bit, if you know what I mean. Because it's not really about dry snitching, like I said. It's about using those plot points to really tell a strong central message. The same way you see all these plot points and notes and crosses, like bomb going off, Blanca, rah, rah, only to tell the story of a central message, which is love conquers all. So that's what I'm doing next. But I'm also... That's what I'm we're always, doing. That's what we're doing. Sorry, <laughs> that ah, there you go. Yeah, I've, also, I've also started a production company called DBK Studios, and I'm... I am, there's three parts of that company, but the one that I've got going currently is talent development. So I'm executive producing five short films and mentoring five writer directors um, from black male and females. So what, not just black, but from like ethnic backgrounds that can tell stories that, that have never been seen on screen. So like I actually, so I mean, my plan is, I was going to say this year, well, after Corona, I'll probably say next year. I want to do it. This year's a write-off. Yeah, yeah write-off. Man. <laughs> but yeah, I want to do a showcase, a DBK showcase, and present these five short films to the industry. So you know, I'm sure sure you guys will be getting your invite. 
So, but it's just to sort of like get the agents there, you know, get the, the industry there, the production companies, the finances, you know, everybody, TV execs, everybody to come under the same roof and just see a, a, a new wave of talent. Because the way it happened for me was very supernatural and very godly. And God presented it to me like that so that I could recreate that in many other people. So that's my, that's the final thing that I'm going to add to what I'm doing. That's amazing because you're already giving back to people that need, that were in the same position as you, right? That oh. needed a, a break, needed somebody to see their work. So that's amazing that you're giving back. No, of course. I think that everything happens for a reason. I really struggled to kick the door open. Like I knocked on so many doors and got like 95% no's, but you know, what God does is he will harden some people's hearts for your journey to be carved intricately, number one. And number two, just so I've got that experience of rejection, I have more of a motivation for others not to feel that way. So now I just feel like, I feel like that's why those things happen. Like in order for me to be in the position I'm in now, you know what I mean? And with the mentality I've got now to be able to help, I see myself as a vessel, man. That's why I'm so fearless in this industry because I just come with God and whatever he's got for me, that's what I'm on. So mm. if, Hebrews. you know what I mean? If God's placed me here, I, you know for, for a fact, the favor that I need is with me as well. You know what I'm saying? So. Mm. I just aim for the stars, man. That's that's Look at the pastor coming through. Come on. <laughs> Come on. So let I me feel start like my own church, church, you know? church right now. <laughs> I was gonna say, do we want to end this episode with a prayer? I don't yeah. know. Like, right right Listen, we might have to do it. I'm gonna start my own online church. Watch. That's that's the that's the, the long term goal. Another long term goal to go to, to Africa. I wanna go and start to really put my foot my my footprint in. I'm gone in, like I said, so I'm gonna start there. But I really want to start enhancing that industry to start being as economically viable as, you know, the Europeans, the Americans, mm. you know, and even like the, the, the sort of oriental trade, you know, when you start to go to like China and Japan, you know, they've got all their, their stuff popping. So it's about going to Ghana and, you know, flexing our, our muscle a little bit, uh, Africa, mm. but from the standpoint of Ghana, you know. So are you going to be working on season two of Knots and Crosses? I mean, that's that's not for me to answer, boy. I'm just if, 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 if my, my phone gets called, then then so be it. But I'm not. I never hold my breath, man. Like I said, like I didn't expect season one to come, so I can't start being mm. expecting and conceited now. Like I have to just, do you know mm. what I mean? Leave it to God. whatever gotcha. God wants me to do. I do next. As simple as that. Okay, so tell us where you can we can find you on social media. Give us all, all right. your deets. So it's directed by Kobe. Kobe's K O B Y. That's the same on Twitter, same on Instagram. Um, and just type my name in Kobe Adom in Google or something and everything will come up, I guess. But it's directed <laughs> by Kobe on the socials. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Kobe, for being our first male guest. I think no you problem. did an excellent hey, 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 job. Hey, hey. Honor. I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait for my badge of honor in the post because I think I'm Pastor Kobe. Pastor Kobe. Yeah, Pastor Kobe and Emmy. I'm out here. So thanks so much for listening, guys. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. On Twitter and Instagram, we are Dope Black Women 1. And on Facebook, we're just Dope Black Women. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Black me black. Blacktastic. Love it.
So anyway, so guys, <laughs> that that again, that. Sorry. the Holy Spirit told him the shade I was dishing, and he just came back. <laughs> His ears were ringing. <laughs> he said, "My ears started burning, boy." He's like, "Yo, you That's jokes. You say at the end of the podcast. Jump out the window on that. You know when just go jumping out the window. That's jokes. Not hit me. Didn't even say goodbye. Just goodbye. No, you know where it is. Look. Come on. We don't want to look. We don't want to look. We don't want to see. Let me show you. Let me show you. Look. No, I don't. I don't, we don't want to know. That. We don't want to see. We don't you guys, know. go go and watch Josh Jude McGregor on live right now. I, I don't got, it. I got it. I got it. Instagram live. Okay, that's your own. If you want to stay where you are, <laughs> <laughs> that's your business. We have a podcast. I'm not. I'm not, to do, I'm not okay? saying. I'm not saying you're you're black tastic anymore. Still. <laughs> You're, well, you just said it now, we'll edit it in. Exactly, <laughs> I could just cut that. <laughs> when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.